Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 118. Today we're talking with Mark Shaken, S-H-A-I-K-E-N. If you don't know who he is, he wrote an excellent book called And Just Like That, Essays on a Life Before, During, and After the Law. Uh, spent 38 years as a lawyer working mostly in the corporate bankruptcy world, <laughs> which sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Uh, he talks all about that, but uh, more importantly, how that relates to all of us individually. No matter what you do and your life situation, uh, whether you're a lawyer or some other profession or a stay-at-home parent of some sort, whatever the case might be, whatever your station in life, what this the theme of this really is is finding balance and happiness in life. He transitioned out of the law and uh, talks about that whole process and uh, how this all relates. A very kind of humorous book and uh, also just very poignant and uh, interesting. Talking about his background, his childhood. He's got a younger brother who also, spoiler alert, went into the law. Uh, so let's get into that interview. But before we do, I just want to remind you, as always up front, you are absolutely priceless. Nothing in the world can change that. Uh, lots of people, as we've been discussing lately, have been going through all kinds of difficulties uh, related to this virus thing or whatever situation, but that's largely affecting most of our lives in some in some way. And I want to remind you of your priceless state. That's never going to change. And uh, along with that, you're never alone, especially right now. Uh, we share this planet together, and we, we need to adopt that mentality more. Somehow, the forces and powers that be in the world have... Uh, largely been successful at dividing us, uh, but that's artificial. That's fake stuff. We don't need to be divided. We may differ in some capacities in terms of languages we speak and uh, just other things, other opinions and viewpoints politically and whatnot, but we need to stay united. And whatever you're going through, you are not alone. You've got friends, neighbors, family. You've got me. If nobody else, uh, reach out, info at empowerhumans.com, at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I'm happy to talk with people. Just reach out there and reach out, like I say, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. Uh, plenty of folks out there. It's in our nature as people to want to lift and help each other. Uh, along with these uh, reminders, I want to also add on our challenges. Study. Keep studying, start studying. I always say it that way because some people, maybe we haven't studied in a while. Maybe maybe it's been 30 years since we exited high school and haven't really picked up a book since. And whatever you do to study, you know, books is where it's been for thousands of years. <laughs> uh, but now we've got audiobooks, videos. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can learn just watching free YouTube videos, whether you want to learn online marketing, whether you want to learn uh, some historical thing or about animals or whatever the case might be. Uh, I use these free apps, Hoopla Digital and uh, Libby through the local library systems. Look those up as well and find out if you can link in through your library system because you can access all kinds of books for free. My son's been listening to this audiobook about Jim Henson. And uh, it sounds like he likes it. It's, it's like a 17, maybe 20-hour audiobook. Um, I taught him how to speed it up as well so he can get through a little bit quicker. Just a little uh, pro tip there for anyone listening to audiobooks. But anyway, study. Uh, next challenge, make great moments. Yesterday I got to do some more Legos with my son. We didn't finish a set yet, but we do it sometimes in phases. We'll do it. Sometimes they come in bags, like bag one, two, and three. So we finished bag one of a Star Wars Lego set and enjoying that. Got to play some games with my other son. We ride bikes together. And if you think about it, if you just take a half hour, when you've got a half hour, 10 minutes even, grab the Legos, even if it's just a five-minute conversation. Uh, some parents, when you're talking about great moments with your kids, it's just bring the kids along for the errands so you can talk in the car, listen to music together. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to incorporate this into our worlds. We just got to expand our horizons and do it. Uh, a lot of times it's surprise, it's love, it's just expressions that are pillars in our lives. And I've been saying this, that will overshadow the many shortcomings and imperfections of who we are as people. And the last challenge, of course, as always, let's keep doing this podcast together. I can't say enough about this interview. Mark is an interesting, dynamic, highly intelligent guy. Uh, very uh, great story in his book. And I invite you again to go pick that up. Again, the book is called And Just Like That, Essays on a Life Before, During, and After the Law. You can pick it up uh, on Amazon. And he's got a website, markshakenauthor.com. Again, that's uh, Shaken, S-H-A-I-K-E-N. That's all together on the website, markshakenauthor.com. Uh, so check all that out. And uh, without further ado, my friends, here is our interview with the one and only former lawyer, <laughs> Mark Shaken. Here we go. We are pleased to welcome today Mark Shaken, a former attorney, author, 
uh, also works a lot with nonprofits and uh, uh, a lot of great things and real interesting, humorous and insightful kind of book. Basically talking about life before, during, after the law practice, which is part of the, the title of the book. Uh, it's called And Just Like That. And uh, let's talk about that. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, Phil. Yeah, my pleasure. I, uh, you, you're coming to us from Denver. I'm in Las Vegas, by the way. And uh, have you lived in Denver long? Um, five and a half years. We moved, oh, okay. here from, we moved here from Kansas City, where we lived for 27 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, see, in Denver, see, I grew up in Albuquerque down the road from you. Sure thing. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been, we love Albuquerque. Oh, yeah. A lot of people love Albuquerque. When you live there, it's kind of a boring place. We don't have no Denver Broncos or, uh, you know, all the kind of, you know, no offense, Albuquerque, but I grew up there. We got the balloon fiesta. We've got other stuff and some tasty Mexican food and things, but, <laughs> and wonderful yeah. people. I love people, you know, I'm biased because I am one of them, but uh, yeah, Denver, I've got some family up there too. Uh, so Kansas City, I used to go down there too with, uh, my mom used to live in Omaha. My parents ah. grew up. Uh, not to talk too much about me, but we'd go to Worlds of Fun. There's <laughs> an amusement park, isn't there? Sure. Yeah, big one. I guess you, you may not have gone there much. Uh. <laughs> well, we, we had, as our kid was growing up, we got dragged there. I'm not saying it was our first choice, but we, <laughs> we, we went there. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting in lines as an adult isn't, isn't always fun. But Worlds of Fun is, is nice. At least when I was 11, it was. Uh, so you got, well, you've got one child. Is that what you were mentioning? Yeah, he's an adult. Child, an adult. Yeah. He's an adult so, child uh, now. <laughs> adult child in uh, Seattle, right? Wow. Okay. They're always your baby, though. I've got two boys myself. Um, <clears throat> cool. And so, talk to me about this. You know, being a lawyer, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to uh, invite you on the show. Um, we haven't talked a lot with the with folks in the law in the past, and uh, lawyers are kind of an interesting, fascinating bunch to me. There's, there's a lot of interesting uh, common threads that seem to go on with lawyers, some of which aren't always the most pleasant, uh, but we can talk about all those things in terms of sometimes, you know, they're not satisfying what they're doing with their life, uh, things like that. But tell me, why did you go into the law? Tell me about your background. Maybe you can even go as far back where you grew up and that kind of stuff. But what is it that brought you to, to being a lawyer and then, you know, branch off and, and write this great book? Yeah. Um so I, you know, I went to college. I grew up in the East Coast. I grew up in Queens, New York, and then Long Island, and then New Haven, Connecticut, and went off to college. Um, pretty typical. I didn't actually have any idea where I was heading in life um, and figured college would help me figure that out. College didn't. Um, I mean, it was a great college, but it wasn't really there to say, okay, you should be a, a blank for the rest of your life. Um, right. When I graduated from college, I ended up trying things. I drove a forklift for a while. I painted lines on the highways. Those are the ones that weren't straight in Connecticut, so you can tell which lines I painted. Um, <laughs> you, you, uh, you know, I, I tried a number of things as I was sort of floundering around, and then I, I woke up one day and I said, hey, I can go to law school for three years, not to be a lawyer, but that'll give me three more years to figure out what I want to do in life. And so my idea was that um, I would would use the law school period to sort of grow up a little bit and figure out, you know, what my life path would be. Um, turns out I needed more than three years, so it took me another 38 years to figure out what I wanted to do as I practiced law. Um, what's interesting to me about lawyers is that this is a pretty common path. I mean, there are lawyers who um, always knew they wanted to be a lawyer and then fulfilled their dream, and there are lawyers who, uh, whose family is full of lawyers, and so they kind of knew they would go law school and continue the, the legacy and I was neither and those lawyers tend to be more organized I was more accidental to say the least mm. um, and that kind of, that kind of led to I mean I had a great career I was a commercial bankruptcy lawyer for 38 years at you know big firms uh, mostly at a big firm in Kansas City and um, you know I was a partner and I was on the firm's board and so on paper it looked like a pretty good trajectory but the reality is that I just spent those um, 38 years at the firm thinking of other things I could do and you know, sort of dreaming my way out of being a lawyer or negotiating with myself at you know, one in the morning that, okay, I'll give it one more week and then I'm done. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> uh, uh, and that kind of lasted 38 years of doing that um, while I 
It was sort of trying to identify uh, how I would not be a lawyer anymore. Wow. And I, I came to realize, um, and I talk about this at some length in the book, that I, I was way too focused on retiring from the law as opposed to focusing on retiring to, to something else, I guess. I hate the word retire because I, I don't feel like I've retired. I'm super busy. I'm just not you know, going to court and arguing in front of judges and dealing with partners and clients anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, <clears throat> uh, once I started to focus more on what I had a passion for, which was not being a lawyer, as it turned out, um, <laughs> it, it kind of fell into place. Um, and I've spent, you know, the, uh, the first year and a half since I've um, stopped being a lawyer, um, more focusing on um, what I could give in life rather than what lawyers at a big firm tend to do. Um, and this isn't critical. It's just the nature of the beast. They tend to focus on what they get. So you kind of measure a career by what you get, but you measure a life by what you give, said uh, Winston Churchill. And uh, it's, sure. it's worked, worked for me um, uh, quite, quite well. I haven't looked back. Um, about two months after I left the firm, one of my be better friends at the firm took me to lunch and said, okay, now that you've had your two months sabbatical, you're coming back. And, no, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, having a, I'm having too good a time. So. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a tough profession. You know, you don't really know when you go to law school what being a lawyer at a law firm is going to be like. They don't teach you that. They don't make any um, pretense about teaching you that. They teach you how to think like a lawyer, but not how to be a lawyer. Right. Um, and, and law firms hire law, st law students over the summer called the summer associate programs. And they try to give the, the summer associate some idea, but um, not really. So you, you kind of get dropped into this all-encompassing career suddenly after law school. <clears throat> and it's a, it, it's a, it could be a real shock to the system. Now, you know, the shock wears off, and I, I weathered that part of the, the process. But um, what sets in is um, something that one of the Supreme Court justices once said, that the, the law is a jealous mistress. And um, <laughs> she is. <laughs> <laughs> and she wants a lot of your time. Sometimes she wants yeah. your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> and you really struggle with her for the, and this is every lawyer, not just the accidental lawyers like me. You, you really struggle with the, the, the tug of um, needing to have some balance while the list mistress is telling you that doesn't fit into the, into the, the, the plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That jealous overbearing mistress, uh, got to be careful. I, thanks for explaining all that. That's interesting because, uh, you know, when I think of lawyers too, I'm not one I've, you know, associated and uh, dealt in various ways with lawyers <laughs> over the years. 38 years is a pretty long time. I mean, for me, I'm turning 40 this month. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, that's most of my lifetime, uh, mathematically that you were doing that. And, uh, and figuring yourself out, so to speak. Did you find, I don't know if people kind of keep to themselves and just, you know, argue it out in court and then, but in terms of statistics, I've seen lawyers are among the most dissatisfied uh, professions out there, plus uh, depression and things. I don't know if it's all that paperwork, all this, you know, combative stuff that goes on. It just goes with the territory of being a lawyer. Did you find that other lawyers felt somewhat the same way as, as what you're describing? I, I do. I did. I still do. Um, I, um, it, you know, the, the, it's been interesting. The, the reviews of the book on Amazon are all these lawyers who <laughs> I've hit a chord with, you know, yeah. I've, I've resonated with something that they've put, <laughs> Put away, you know, it's, it's not necessarily productive to feel bad all the time. Um, and um, you tend to sort of file that away someplace that you don't have to deal with it all the time. Um, but I do think it, it's, uh, well, first of all, statistically, you know, the, 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 uh, um, the amount of the number of lawyers or the percentage of lawyers who have alcohol or substance problems is staggeringly high mm -hmm. when, you, when, when you think about, you know, it, and people uh, may not realize that. Um, and, you know, people turn to, to alcohol and substance uh, for a variety of reasons. It's not a one, one size fits all, but one of them is, you know, to manage um, a hole, to fill a hole that you have. And, right. um, 
and law kind of digs that hole somewhat quickly. Um, you know, I, I tended to not have long discussions with my partners or my colleagues at the firm about all of this because it, it, it wouldn't lead to anything productive other than kind of a bitch session. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and some <laughs> of the people who have read the book who've paths have crossed with me over the years have expressed some surprise because they didn't realize that I, I didn't really want to be a lawyer. So I guess I hit it pretty well. Um, but it is, it is surprisingly common. And, um, you know, I don't know that it's the law firm's obligation to figure out a way to fix it, even if they, even if the firm could, um, I don't know that it's, it's, it's the law school's obligation to be better at, exposing the lawyer to what it's like, the law student to what it's like. You know, although med, med students do get exposed, you know, they do internships and residencies and they're at a hospital. And yeah. so they have a pretty, pretty darn good idea what being a doc is going to be like. And I would argue that um, law school has never done that for lawyers. Um, and um, uh, it's probably too late in the, in the, in the process to convince them to change up. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes some sense. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting field. I <laughs> and it's a certain kind of person that has to. It seems like to to become a lawyer and be successful. We had another lawyer on way back. I think episode forty six or so of the podcast. Uh, she she'd also written a book. Uh, she actually became passionate with uh, you know dinosaurs and all these things. So she she found her passion through all this doing <laughs> the lawyer thing. But again the same common thread of there was a level of dissatisfaction. That's not to say for all the lawyers listening that you you have to feel that way. Cause I think there are some who just genuinely love that the whole dynamics of being a lawyer, but it sounds like uh, by and large, that's not the norm, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, or, 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 you know, life's not linear. So you may at some points like it and some points you know hate it which would also be fairly uh, normal in a person's life and career yeah um, especially over 38 start, years <laughs> yeah i mean i start the book with some f- frequently asked questions things that people have asked me and one of them is did you like being a lawyer and uh, it was funny as i posed the question to myself and then wrote my answer <laughs> in the book um it, it, I thought it'd be a one sentence answer and it wasn't because it's complicated you know um, there were times when it was fine and there were lots of times when it wasn't so fine, and I kind of stumble around with the answer, which is how I feel about it, stumbling. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, conclude, I conclude that, you know, while it was fine at times, like wasn't the first word that crossed my mind when I thought about my career. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I would imagine there, you're right. There's some common ground there with, with most professions. It, it, it's not a linear thing it's you know ups and downs whatever it is people are doing across the board and for the sake of you know our audience if we kind of broaden the the view here i think uh, for those who may not be lawyers can probably and you know most of us understand what lawyers do to an extent as well but uh you know kind of uh referencing our own selves with whatever it is that we're doing um they can kind of find some common ground here as well I just, and I, it seems like when you were a kid, uh, from what I read and stuff that you were into a lot of different things, uh, and, and maybe somewhat open-minded sounds like as you became an adult, <laughs> you know, you kind of haphazardly <laughs> approached this, this law school stuff and this, this career. Um, talk to me about that if you don't mind, as far as like being a kid, um, you know, most kids don't grow up saying, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you, it sounds like you were into a lot of different things from sports to music and other stuff. Is that, is that a true assessment from what I've read here? It is. Um, I, um, you know, to some extent, being a kid is, is um, having a lot of dreams and then um, having that um, universe of dreams get get winnowed down a little bit as you realize, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd love to play center field for the Mets, but I, I'm not really that good. So mm. that's probably not going to happen. Um, you know, <laughs> for, for me, um, it, uh, music and photography and having crazy dreams was sort of, um, the, the life of the kid. Um, and, uh, luckily for me in, in my adult life, I've managed to keep all, all three of them and add family to that which is very important and those were the places yeah. i would go 
um, those were the things I learned as a kid were good places to go when things weren't going so hot. And, you know, I had kind of an unusual family upbringing at times. Um, and it was a good thing to go into a room um, and uh, play music. I started off playing piano, so you couldn't go into a room. And that may be the reason I ditched piano for a guitar. Yeah. Um, I like, like you played guitar. I'm sure you're way better than I am. <laughs> mm. um, but it was, you know, you, you grab a guitar, you go in your room, you close the door, you kick your brother out of the room and you go in there and you close the door and it's just you and, and the guitar. And it was a good place to go and it's still a good place to go uh, for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the beauty of the guitar is, uh, you know, you can take it just about anywhere. You know, I play drums as well and that's not mm-hmm. as as portable <laughs> Gen- mm-hmm. generally and it takes a while to set up but um yeah uh, that's the, now that being said you talk about photography music you know i'm all about this stuff uh, one because i love it i love all the arts i took photo classes and stuff photography uh, and stuff as well but uh how important is it to have outlets like that i mean you had that as a kid uh what about during the adult years of course, your time's taken a lot with, with clients and these commercial bankruptcies, which can't be a fun thing to do, and paperwork galore, I'm sure. But uh, how important is it to have those uh, outlets of sorts to kind of keep you sane and balanced? Um, for me, it was very important. I would I argue in the book um, or suggest in the book that um, it's really the only way to get through the practice of law and be somewhat sane and healthy at the end of the career. Um, uh, and honestly, it came, uh, music and photography came in and out of my life at times as, mm-hmm. as a practicing lawyer and the times it was out were, were probably the worst times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it went out not because I wanted it to, but because the, the, the practice of law just didn't provide the, the time necessary. Um, but as I got, um, as I got through my fourth or fifth midlife crisis and I'm now in my, you know, late forties, early fifties, I just one day made a promise to myself that if I couldn't get out of the practice of law, um, and that was a conclusion I was reaching at that point, that um, the practice of law is just going to have to um, take a back seat for the moments when I need music and photography. And so I was a sports photographer, um, which was a kind of a natural thing for me because I loved sports so much growing up and um yeah i, start, I started um, folding sports photography much more into my day and folding out of my day um the law mm-hmm. and you know i would uh it was this somewhat famous moment at the law firm when i got hired by some some colleges to shoot um, a basketball tournament in uh, that was being played in kansas city near our office so that day i didn't wear a suit and a tie i came kind of photography like I was kind of grubbed up I didn't shave (laughs) I I put on my photography persona and at 11 30 I go down in the elevator with my big backpack to walk over to the arena to spend the next day and a half shooting the the tournament and there is the the head lawyer in the firm the managing partner in the elevator in a suit at 11 30 and he he just eyeballs me from head to toe and looks at me and I said well I could lie and tell you this was firm related but it's not and I'm still doing it <laughs> and uh, it kind of became uh, uh, it, it kind of became acceptable that was another thing I wasn't sure of as I start to do these other things more to stay sane how's the law firm going to react and they, they reacted fine they, they were actually um, kudos to them they were pretty cool with it so they, they they weren't worried about this mistress uh, on the other side that you get multiple mistresses now that <laughs> photography one of them it sounds like they weren't worried about you quote unquote cheating on the law. <laughs> uh, no, uh, they they weren't. I mean, they weren't there to help me figure it out. But I have to say that you know um, they weren't. Uh, if they were bothered by the, um, the the balance, they they didn't they didn't let on, and they they were they were. Um, um, I'm grateful because they could have said one or the other to me and they didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's good. They probably understood the, the undergirding, uh, I don't know if insanity is the right word, but that being in the law can bring that you needed some level of sanity and, and balance in your life too. But, uh, you, you know, I, in fact, I think it was just yesterday I saw a report about 
so many people, especially right now with this virus stuff going on and all of that, that people are working from home. And oddly enough, and to a large extent, they're way more dissatisfied than usual. Just being cooped up, it's like not having maybe the variety of a commute to work in an office setting and uh, whatever it is that they do. It's for Some people are back to some some semblance of that too. But um, there was some massive statistic about people just being dissatisfied and looking for other jobs. Um, is there something to that? Again, talking the broad scale of just life in general, including the law, but uh, is there something to this kind of grass is greener thing? And also, do you have any insights as it concerns this uh, coronavirus being cooped up situation? I mean, you you didn't experience this, you know, when you were raising your son, sounds like, but um, any thoughts on this grass is greener mindset? <laughs> um, sure. Um, you know, one of the uh, problems of being a lawyer as you look across the fence and notice that the grass is greener on the other side is that you, you, you um, worry, and this may be the jealous mistress at work again, you worry that you want to do something else, but there's nothing else you can think of to do. And you see the, the grass is greener, but you can't, get over there to see what makes it greener, um, necessarily. <laughs> um, and, um, I think COVID has affected us in so many different ways. Um, obviously the tragedy of every, the number of people getting sick and, and dying is mm-hmm. awful, but, but I can't imagine how my wife and I would have navigated the notion that we're both working and we have to raise our son and we have to all be at home and he's being you know, homeschooled now because he's not doing online learning yeah. and he's not, he's not learning all of a sudden anymore. Um, and um, I, I just can't imagine. And I feel for all the parents because it, it's not like they were given a handbook of how to do this. They were thrown into it overnight Yeah. Uh, in March and, and then, or, and then they're on. And um, it, it's just got to be awful. It's got to be a terrible strain on the, the career. It's got to be a terrible strain on the marriage. It's, it's got to be rough. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, yeah. And everyone's in a different boat career-wise and stuff too. I mean, yeah, I've got my two boys. One's going into third grade. One's starting middle school in sixth grade. So it's uh, transitions. And I think as of now, we're about five going on six months since everything shut down. So we've had an extended spring and summer. But it's like you could look at the bright side of all that too. And this grass is greener is like looking exteriorly. Like you said, you can't get over there to to necessarily see what makes it greener. Uh, you know, as a lawyer, maybe your natural tendency is just sue everyone who's over there. <laughs> Make you feel better. <laughs> the grass is greener. You're enjoying it. Here's a summons. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I'm just, I guess, speaking personally. You know, I'm self-employed for the most part. Uh, so I have some flexibility. And uh, But the, again, I've enjoyed spending time. One of my youngest son, we do Legos. My other son, we play some video games, we ride bikes, things like that. So we've had maybe more opportunity to do some of those things and I've gotten them on their own doing some of their own, uh, you know, things they, they can have as their own habits that doesn't necessarily be the schools forcing you to do it. Like make sure you read first thing in the morning and stuff like that so that they're getting some, some habits of, you know, growth, not just playing around. But uh, yeah, this is, it's a tough time for a lot of people in a lot of ways. It could be much worse and I hope it doesn't get there, but it may, we need to be open to that possibility. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I just as as we talk here, I'm just wondering too, from the lawyer standpoint, you know, living your own life, was there a kind of a definitive moment that you because you talked about folding in and out and gradually getting more with the you know photography, for example, was there a definitive moment that you just said, you know what, I am gonna. I mean, there had to have been because you had to make a decision <laughs> at some point. Was there anything that uh, kind of a precursor that? that led to that or some specific definitive moment? You know, there, there, um, there really wasn't that aha moment. Um, the, it was, for me, it was a process. And um, the, the, the moment for me was when I stopped um, believing that there was nothing else I could do. You know, if I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be going back and driving a forklift, my days of you know, being able to build homes with Habitat are a bit in the rearview mirror, but I love Habitat and I wanted to still be involved in, help, in doing something to help put um, families into homes because of the 
incredible um, positive effect that has on so many things. Um, and I wanted to be involved in the arts because of you know, my life of photography. And um, I, I was unclear how would I achieve all of that? What, what, what is a lawyer, what is a guy got to do <laughs> to get to, to make that type of transition? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have become convinced that these are hard things to do on your own. And there are um, life coaches and um, uh, transition um, uh, experts that can help you um, plan things out. Uh, and if nothing else, I am a planner. Um, maybe not a good planner at some times during my life, but, but I always got a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, at the point that I, I decided that there must be other things I can do, I, I, I can't be this one trick pony for, until I die. Mm-hmm. Um, and changed my thinking to retire to something rather than retire from something. Um, I, I, it started falling into place better. I, I, I used um, a wonderful uh, company here in the States named My Next Season. Um, and um, they, um, they really did a great job with me over a six-month period of helping me get more focused um, and, um, I decided not to, to have a handler who was a lawyer. So that helped as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden I had a plan and, um, something I could implement. And, um, and then I walked in on, uh, April 2, 2018 and told the managing partner that I was, um, transitioning out of being a lawyer. And, you know, I think most people were surprised. I don't know if they thought I was a lifer or not, but um, uh, (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) And and, um, I I moved on. There were a few things I hadn't planned for. Um, I, when I, um, so my firm, you have to give nine months notice. So it was quite a long process. Um, So my last day was (laughs) January, January 2. And I gave the notice on April 2 so that, if I gave it to him on April 1, I thought they might thought it was April Fool's joke. So I gave it to him yeah, on April I was gonna 2. Say. <laughs> and nine months equals January 2. So that was sort of the math. But the minute I finished um, and left the firm, I had this um, period of intense euphoria. <laughs> and I have to say that most lawyers don't go through a whole bunch of euphoria during their career. And I certainly didn't go through any euphoria. So uh, euphoria is a pretty cool um, thing. It's yeah. like, uh, professional endorphins being released in your body for an extended period of time. And um, unfortunately it, it, it gets in the way of being particularly productive. You wake up and you feel so good. You figure, well, I'll do whatever I plan to do today. I'll just do it tomorrow. Um, and <laughs> I had planned to try to uh, outline this book and write it. And I had to wait a couple of months for the euphoria to wear off before I could actually sit down in front of the computer and start to, you know, put the book together and write it. Wow. Um, uh, and I didn't realize that the emotional reaction I was going to have to all of a sudden being uh, free of the law was going to be quite that intense, but it was. <laughs> and um, I've talked to other people that have left the practice of law and surprisingly it's, it's common. Now maybe it's common in every career or every profession. Um, I tend to think it's, it's more intense in the law because you, you finally got a divorce from this jealous mistress and there's nothing she can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fascinating to me that uh, euphoria you experienced and uh, maybe digging in on some of the reasons why uh, it, it makes, it makes you wonder like how, how is it as humans we we crave change of some sort because we on the surface we tend to not like change but once it's happening it's like okay we can embrace it uh and and furthermore you weren't entirely satisfied like a lot of your colleagues <laughs> sounds like in the law but um what what was it about the law in particular i mean being doing bankruptcies uh that that's kind of a I don't know. Everything about the law, there's a lot of combativeness, really. I don't know about the bankruptcy, but I imagine there as well, because you've got creditors and things you got to deal with. Um, yeah. and, and I'd like to tr- talk more about your kind of this next season and the planning behind that. But let's talk real quick about kind of in-depth the lawyer thing. Some people listening might be like, uh-oh, we better fast forward. But no, don't, because this will be, I'm sure, interesting. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's different people call them practice areas, different areas of specialty um, that yeah. lawyers tend to gravitate to. Um, I, I became a bankruptcy lawyer uh, just like I became a lawyer, kind of accidentally. The um, <laughs> one of the bankruptcy judges in the district where I was going to law school posted a, a three by five card. This is uh, uh, before the age of the internet and electronics, um, which may date me, but um, posted a, a card that he was looking for a law clerk uh, who, had, who was graduating from law school and had never taken the bankruptcy class. And um, um, I went over and interviewed with him and uh, I loved him and um, he liked me and um, it was a good fit. And that's how I fell into the bankruptcy uh, practice. Um, and, um, it, you know, it, it is a pretty contentious practice area because um, money can bring out the worst in people at times and not enough sure. money to go around might intensify that. There's a, yeah. a famous New Yorker cartoon, um, the New Yorker magazine cartoon, where there's uh, three cavemen uh, huddled over the carcass of like, what must have been a, a buffalo or something. And uh, the, the, the caption says, um, we're out of meat. I make, uh, make a motion to divide up the bones. Um, and um, that's kind of the, the bankruptcy world. There's not going to be enough money to go around. People are going to be um, um, uh, angry. Um, uh, Elizabeth Warren, um, the senator and ca former candidate for president, has yeah. written several books about the, uh, uh, the effect of owing money. And there's um, things that are happening in, in your brain when you owe a lot of money and you can't pay it back. And it, 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 um, uh, it, it can have a very devastating effect and, and create quite um, an emotional um, conflict mm -hmm. between the, the creditor who's owed the money and the debtor who owes the money. And, um, you know, divorce law is very contentious. It can be as well. And um, I, I put bankruptcy right up there. There's... It's a small bar, a small community of bankruptcy lawyers in each city. So mm -hmm. you, get, you, you tend to know each other, and that can kind of mitigate some of the, uh, the yelling and screaming. Um, but it doesn't change that the clients are emotional about it. Um, and so you're absorbing a fair amount of, of um, uh, angst and concern and anxiety as a bankruptcy lawyer when your client you know, is texting you at 10 o'clock at night and worried about, you know, tomorrow's courtroom appearance. Which oh yeah. Is understand understandable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, I, I would imagine the corporate side is probably more stressful and contentious in some ways, even than personal, but you know, I guess there's, there's some caveats on both of those personal is your own personal credit and stuff as well. It can be on the bankruptcy side as well, but um you generally dealing with bigger numbers on the corporate side, it seems like, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a, um, there's a lot of, it's high stakes. There's a lot of money at, at issue, a ton. You know, we, we were lucky enough to um, be special counsel for WorldCom in the WorldCom bankruptcy case some years ago in New York. Wow. And, um, you know, it, it, even then, 2003, WorldCom had, you know, hundred billion dollars of debt. <laughs> so oh, goodness. The, the numbers are, are massive, right? And um, <laughs> and there's just no money to go around, and um, it it it's uh, you know it 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 can be it can be uh, um, uh, stressful and emotional, uh, for sure. And then of course there's a judge who may or may not be um, um, managing the stress well either. I mean the judge is sort of under a lot of stress as well. So it 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 has its absolutely has its effects um, and the numbers are big. But I would say also that even in a consumer bankruptcy case, you know, if, if Mr. Jones files uh, bankruptcy because he got terribly sick and didn't have health insurance and now owes the hospital $60,000 that he's never going to be able to pay back, that's pretty darn stressful too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, these medical things are the number one cause of bankruptcy from what I re remember uh, reading. And but I mean, then on the personal side, at least, I can't imagine, you know, going in with a hundred billion dollars in a personal bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, that'd be almost uh, humorous. It'll but, a lot of part. There's a chapter in the book, um, <laughs> uh, it, and 
not, I'll clean it up a little bit, but it's in, entitled uh, learning not to say F you at the end of every conversation. And at some <laughs> point, you know, that, that, that was, um, <laughs> as a young lawyer, I, I became, um, I became uh, uh, surprised uh, and then kind of interested in, in, at times, how the emotional aspect of bankruptcy can translate into something of a vulgar practice. And people don't think of lawyers as necessarily running around swearing at each other. Um, but you know, it can spill <laughs> over. It can spill over and, um, and does sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I can only imagine. Plus, being a lawyer from Queens, it's probably in the blood a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to say F you a little bit more. Might but. be. Yeah, I've, I, I, I'm not one of the New Yorkers that's always pined to someday move back to New York. So I'm happy to visit, but not, not live there. Um, yeah. Do you still have family back there? You don't mind me asking? Sure. Um, no, my, my, both my parents are deceased, and uh-huh. that, that generation has largely died. Um, my brother still lives in Connecticut, where he he um, uh, and his family live. So that's my main family back there. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm sorry to hear about your parents. Uh, part of oh, life. They, they lived a full life. Yeah. Good. Part of life. Good. And, and let's talk about your brother real quick, if you don't mind me. <laughs> Growing up, is there, I'm just always interested in the sibling dynamics. We talk about what we all do in adulthood, but a lot of times what happens as kids between parents, kids, siblings, the birth order and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what, what does your brother do? Did he go the <laughs> lawyer route too? Probably not. Yeah, no, he did. Um, oh, he did? Yeah, he, and, and even became a bankruptcy lawyer. So um, I, uh, he's five years younger than I am. And then he took, he worked in the theater for a number of years at the Walnut Street Theater in Philadelphia after college wow. before he decided to go to law school. So he made a, a early life pivot of some magnitude. But he had already listened to me complain and, and grumble about this whole lawyer thing. And when he, when he called me to tell me he was going go to go to law school uh, at the University of Connecticut, I was completely silent. And he said, are you there? I remember this <laughs> vividly. And I said, yeah, I'm here. But, you know, uh, you've listened to me for seven years. I, I, uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Let me Flick. know how it comes out. You're, you're an adult. Yeah. There's nothing I can say other than what I've been saying. And um, he, he's, <laughs> you know, he, I think he's, um, well, I would have to let him speak for himself. I, I haven't talked to him at length about uh, his relationship with the law um, to really know um, how he feels. He did read the book. And whereas most people found it funny, he found parts of it sad. And so I felt bad about that. <laughs> mm. um, but um, uh, I guess he just didn't see the humor in an older brother struggling for um, so long with a, a, a career that he sort of stumbled into. Well, it's, it's a different relationship. You know, someone from the time they're a kid uh, through on through the rest of your life with your sibling, hopefully. And uh yeah, I can imagine there would be a different take on the book as a as a brother in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, from the lawyer standpoint, before we talk about your transition as well, um, it sounds like was it was it very draining on an emotional level? Because you talked about that a little bit. Uh, you know, when you're talking about having clients text you at ten o'clock at night or call all hours, kind of thing, and then all the emotion involved. Did you find yourself also pivoting a little to having to be a little bit of a counselor aside from <laughs> just doing the strict law practice? Because a lot of what lawyers do, the good ones, is they got to keep their, their clients in a you know, somewhat balanced emotional state as best they can. Did, did that drain you uh, as, a, just as a person <laughs> having to do that kind of stuff? Or did you have to? I'm just, I guess, speculating. Um, everyone that worked in our group, everyone that worked with me did did um, appreciate and respect the need to give out some counseling advice to the people we we're representing, especially if we we're representing the, the debtor, the one who owed the money, because it, it, it's massively stressful. Um, mm-hmm. And, and um, especially for, you know, a corporation that at some point in the not too distant past might've been doing quite well. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden an event occurred uh, or COVID occurred, for example, and, you know, Otherwise, healthy corporations are uh, filing chapter 11 petitions left and right, and that's something they had really been planning for for extended periods of time. 
Um, mm -hmm. So, you, I mean, you have to respect the, 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 the toll that all of that process takes on the, the you know, because ultimately it's humans that are in the corporation. It's not a, a monolith. And um, you have to respect the, the toll it takes on them. And um, I, I'd like to think that, that I had a pretty good relationship with most of the people that worked at the companies who we were represented over the years. Um, and, um, uh, and there's only a couple of cases I, re I would say that I regretted that we ended up taking. Um, and so, you know, you're there to help. Um, and the, the law is there to help. Um, the bankruptcy law, but yeah. in the end, you know, the bankruptcy law can't mint money. And even <laughs> if you filed bankruptcy, you could get into bankruptcy pretty easily. Um, it's kind of like the Eagles Hotel California, but it's hard to check out. And to check <laughs> out, you need a business plan, and it needs money. And right now, you know, some uh, meant some to somewhere between some and many of the companies that are filing aren't survivors, because. Mm -hmm the bankruptcy process isn't going to bring people back to the malls to shop at, you know, retail outlets and it won't bring, um, uh, customers into the restaurant. No, no, you're right. Yeah. They might need you back, but you know, don't yeah. go running back. Yeah. I guess it's up to you. Uh, <laughs> there's been, uh, it's funny. There's been, a, I've had a, a number of calls that, um, have said you're missing the, this bankruptcy way of people, call the downturns <laughs> waves when you're a bankruptcy lawyer as yeah, opposed to drops. So. And, uh, and I, I laugh and I said, I've had plenty of waves in my life. I don't need to, to have one more. You know, I'm sure you'll do fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. And I'm, you know, stick to your guns, whatever you need to do to stay happy and all these things and balanced in your life. I, um, let's talk about this transition because you talked about formulating a plan. You had somebody coach you a little bit as well. Sounds like in that process. Um, talk to me about that process. I mean, you talk about a nine month window, you essentially you're giving birth to a new life over nine months. Like we, you know, women do as <laughs> humans yeah. in our species. Uh, talk to me about that process and that plan and, and the transition and what that entailed, if you would. Yeah, the the um, the, the transition, the planning. Um, I'm I'm just very grateful that I found um, uh, my next season, um, uh, which uh, they sort of approached this from the, the 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 life side, the business side, and the psychology side. One of the co-founders is a psychologist, and um, mm -hmm. um, and the reason I like that is that I'd spent you know so many decades. <laughs> needing a psychologist perhaps mm -hmm. um, to help me through all of this um, emotions that I was feeling about the career choice. Um, and, you know, you I, I found a lot of um, um, structure and organization in, in the way that they went about helping me plan while at the same time um, they were pretty skilled in making sure it was my plan because if it was their plan and I'd be back in the same boat, you know, I left the practice alone. I still don't like what I'm doing. Um, and, um, you know, when I, when I began to talk about my passion for art and my passion for inner city, you know, helping inner city kids, um, neither of it, well, the art thing I could, I pursued through photography, but the, the other piece, there really just wasn't time in my life for me to be able to do anything like that. The, 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 the world opened up and I guess I would say also that if you're going in for a, a board or job interview and your first question on your mind is not how much do you pay, there's a whole bunch of things you can do in the world um, uh, to help. And um, I got lucky and I've, you know, I'm on the board of an organization that brings art to inner city kids um, uh, now. And um, these not-for-profits will take as much time as you have to give. And I have a lot of time now, so I can stay very busy. Um, I teach photography to returning veterans through an organization here called Task Force ISO that um, right now we're partnering with the VA uh, to mm -hmm. teach um, photography to people that have had a substance problem in the past uh, and to A, give them a skill and B, use art as a way to um, maybe redirect and give them their passion. Um, and, um, you know, I, I do this work for Habitat, 
on the finance committee, and um, I, 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 f I feel pretty good every night. I feel That's like awesome. I'm helping, and um, which isn't to say that I didn't feel like I was helping my clients when I was an attorney, but I, I feel better <laughs> with what I'm doing now than what I did for the 38 years. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and I smile a lot. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's and, important. Um, yeah, my wife thinks so. <laughs> she, yeah, that's she, good. She wonders if I, if I had lost the capacity to smile there for some periods of time. So. Yeah, she had to endure that. I don't know how long you've been together, but 38 years at least uh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. did. We were we've been married 42 years, so she's been through it all. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, by the way, if you don't mind me asking, did she, uh, you know, you talk about parents working and stuff. Did she uh, have a career of some sort too during those years or still does? Or She did. She does. She, she's a veterinary radiologist and um, that's oh, how wow. we got to Kansas. She got into the um, Kansas State University Veterinary School. And, um, and when she graduated, we moved to Houston just in time for the oil collapse of 1983. Um, which was awful for the oil people in uh, oil and gas folks in Texas, but um, wonderful for a, a young bankruptcy lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and uh, she was just a general practitioner and, and um, fell into the veterinary radiology world through uh, meeting a veterinarian who actually worked at MD Anderson, the super famous cancer treatment center in Houston. Mm -hmm. And, wow. um, and that led to a residency and um, she's been a veterinary radiologist ever since. And she, she, interestingly, she loves what she does. So I found her annoying at times. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be a, I, uh, yeah, a point of stress between two people. Yeah, I mean, I come home and I, I internalize whatever I was feeling and this year she's beaming about what a great day she had. And I'm thinking, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm, well, I'm glad you made it through. Some yeah. some folks yeah. don't. Uh, sounds like you had a way to kind of regulate and handle the marriage side as well. So that's good. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Now, if you don't mind me asking, as far as, as this transition goes, um, you're doing a lot of giving. You're I, and I love that. What it sounds like what you're doing with the photography and uh, the inner city kids and the arts. That all sounds amazing. Did you have to um, kind of? Uh, package in any sort of income producing aspect to all this as well, if you don't mind me asking, uh, or um, go ahead. I am. I'm a little lucky because my wife is um, still working. Yeah. Um, um, and I don't want to understate this because it's pretty important. You, you, you clearly have to plan how you can afford this, how one can afford to make a pivot, you know, up, I'm going to be 65 this year, so I probably really only packed it in a year earlier than many people. You know, when they use 65, is kind of a hard stop. Mm, um, yeah. So, um, and we have plans very carefully, um, and hopefully, I'm right. You know, <laughs> to, to me, the whole financial side of it is um, is, is uh, it can be overwhelming, mm. but it's, it can be very you know precise as well and you have to choose a lifestyle that fits you know how long you think you're going to live and how much money you think you you, you have and hopefully we we got that right i guess we'll find out in 15 years or 20 years when i walk into my wife uh um uh, uh which hopefully by then she's not a veterinarian anymore and i tell her i think we have to die next year because we're out of money <laughs> Uh oh, <laughs> no, we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully I figured it out. But it, I don't, and my next season doesn't really get into that. Um, um, but I, I, I would be remiss if I um, understated the importance of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you probably know better than anybody, or better than some at least, uh, as far as the importance of get, getting the financial picture uh, in place, having dealt with bankruptcies and finances overall throughout your career. Um, we talk about giving in general. How important is that to have a satisfying life? Because it's, it's a common theme throughout history, religion, all these things that people uh, giving is such a crucial thing to keep people happy. And, you know, sometimes parents will, like when I was a kid, my dad took us to a, uh, 
Thanksgiving, like to help the homeless. So we were feeding homeless people Thanksgiving. And that's not to toot my own horn. I was probably eight or nine at the time. Uh, But as a kid, it kind of sticks with you in the sense of you recognize a feeling attached to there's something good here. Why is that so important? I mean, we live in such a, I've been thinking so much lately about the self-centeredness of our uh, world and you dealing with corporations, no offense, a lot of corporations, it's, it's all a for-profit thing, of course. And, uh, and so they're, they're out to line their pockets as best they can. And sometimes as you've learned, uh, it doesn't go as planned. There's something, some crisis of some sort, uh, smacks the business and they go into bankruptcy, but how important is the giving side? Sorry for a long winded question, but for just the individual and the family and a marriage, uh, any thoughts? I'm sure you've got plenty. Well, um, I have some. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sort of watched the whole um, United States, not to be, try to be unpolitical about this, but I kind of look at this uh, almost parentally, uh, what's going on in the country, and just am um, profoundly disappointed in all Americans, and myself included. Um, we've generally both sides of the aisle become incredibly selfish um, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, intractable in in our positions. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I I find that um, bothersome. I find it as a country, uh, the only articles that I want to read anymore every morning are are not about the the rate of infection because those can be depressing because there's nothing, I could do about that yeah. or the rate of death. But, but, but I read the science articles about vaccines and I read the articles where out of all of this mess, there's some shining star of somebody who's figured out something to do to help their neighbor. Um, and, and think of, of, you know, how much better um, we would be as a country if we could hit a reset button and not have to win every argument and just sort of start over again. And um, for me, in a much on a much smaller scale, because nothing I'm doing is is helping anybody through the COVID crisis uh, from a health perspective. Um, for me, it 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 became um, more profoundly important to try to figure out something that I could do that was within my skill set to help people. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I got into photography be- because of an organization like the, the one I'm working for, which is named Think360 Arts for Learning. Um, I went to inner city schools, um, pretty rough schools. And, but re- remarkably, the one the high school I went to had an uh, art requirement. And um, I was, I'm colorblind. And I um, oh. <clears throat> was pretty convinced that there was no way I was going to go to any art class because that would be mortifying. <laughs> and so I, I ended up in the principal's office because I missed the deadline to get an art class under my belt. And I explained the colorblind thing. And, and he said that no problem. There's uh, somebody coming in to teach black and white photography to the school from a not-for-profit. Um, mm. And um, you'll take that class. And I'd never taken a picture in my life. And I, um, uh, I loved the the teacher, Frank Martin. I still remember his name. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved the whole idea that I could actually do something uh, artsy without stumbling over the fact that I'm terrible at colors. And I, I just sort of let my camera take care of the color part of the picture. Um, yeah. And um, uh, these days, and um, and there was this mm-hmm. guy, you know, that came into the classroom and was probably getting paid a, a terrible wage by the uh, not-for-profit organization, but was pretty committed to bringing photography to inner city kids you know, in, in a pretty tough school. And um, it's a good model. Um, mm-hmm. But interestingly, the, the part that I get out of what I'm doing, uh, if I can help in any small way, is so if you teach the, the, the sciences, if you teach art to young kids, the the rate of graduation from high school and entry into college dramatically increases. It's very interesting. So if you can get to a kid when they're three, four or five, six years old and start them on a path of, of uh, art, be it music or visual arts or performing arts, whatever, mm. um, uh, it, it, the, 
the effect on the human brain is such that the, this, this kid's going to more, much more likely graduate from high school and much more likely go to college. And um, the same with putting um, a, a family into a home. Um, you know, if, if you're moving from apartment to apartment for your entire life, kind of like I did mm-hmm. um, growing up, the rate of graduation goes way down. Mm. And if you put a family into a home, the rate of graduation from high school and then entry into college goes way up. So sort of similar effect uh, as the arts do on, on kids and, you know, Habitat is building inner city homes. So these are um, lower middle-class families that are um, all of a sudden you're giving them back the American dream. And um, yeah. yeah, to me, that's just, just very important uh, to me. Um, I, I, uh, it, the extent I can help that, um, that's great. I mean, I was that kid, uh, but very, very lucky to have gotten into this great college, um, um, which, while it didn't teach me what I should do in life, it, it, it's been a door opener for me. Um, and um, I, I wake up, I have this recurring nightmare that I write about in the book, um, mm. that the, the whole, and the, my admission to Haverford College was an uh, a mistake and that someday I'm going to get a, a letter back from the Dean of Admissions that said, we've made a terrible mistake. If you just return your diploma, we'll call it even. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, to me, um, so many of the, the problems are solved by, um, education. I mean, in, in the habitat world, you know, we all say, um, if you want to solve the gang problem, solve the housing problem. If you want to solve the education problem, solve the housing problem. If you want to solve the drug problem, solve the housing problem. And it's all, all true. And it's, it's not anecdotal. It's statistically proven. Yeah. I like that you're looking at a lot of big picture here because that's, that's a, a big way, personally, it sounds like, to really see uh, the real effect of what you're doing in the world and at least what you're a part of and finding even more perhaps satisfaction in that. Uh, and, and I like what you said at the beginning about all the stuff. I mean, I don't necessarily like the reality of it, but I, I agree with where we've come to as Americans uh, and largely throughout a lot of the world is very polarizing mob mentality, largely fed into by a media who thrives on sensationalist nonsense at times and selective reporting of things to to kind of feed into that and then people don't realize how much that contributes to their frame of mind but the i love everything you said i can't agree more with everything when it comes to the housing and families and stuff and and how that relates to kids and their stability because if we're going to have a prosperous future both as a nation and planet uh and i think so much about this we're for all intents and purposes, we're a tiny speck at best of the universe and we share this common ground literally of earth and we've got to, we've got to unify. (laughs) I don't know completely how we do it, but we have to, we don't have a choice. Uh, You know, and I've, (laughs) I don't want to get off. We're going to run out of time. You're going to bill me here as a lawyer. Uh, (laughs) You know, I've watched some of the Terminator movies recently and I think that's you know that's science fiction the machines rise up spoiler alert uh, but uh we don't we don't need those outcomes this is all we've got and we've got to take care of it together uh not to yeah. sound too uh kumbaya about it all but uh, there's an element that we need that we need a little more for lack of a better term kumbaya in our world and uh, i'm glad you're participating in your version maybe you won't call it kumbaya but uh, <laughs> uh- Kumbaya may be a bridge too far for us all right now, but you know, um, I think we, yeah, we, one of my orgs, we had our uh, annual board retreat uh, yesterday and um, we were all supposed to send in either a poem or a song uh, uh, that would reflect uh, how we are feeling during COVID and protests and police brutality. Um, And uh, uh, the only one of those that's new is, is COVID. The, the rest has been going on for forever and needs to stop, of course. And so I sent in the war, war song, W-A-R song, uh, Why Can't We Be Friends? And, um, uh, you know, a surprisingly hard question to answer in the current environment. Well, yeah. And as you aptly pointed out at the beginning, when people are 
uh, squeezed in some capacity, money, uh, stuck at home, all these various things right now that are squeezing people in various ways. Uh, sometimes it tends to bring out even more of the worst and, and thereby exacerbate, we'll say, some of these uh, existing, pre-existing societal conditions. Um, but um, we, can, we don't want to jump too far down that rabbit hole. I think most people listening will understand that is where we are. And let's look at what we can each do individually uh, to be better. If, you know, say what you want about the masks or whatever, uh, but even the, that's kind of its own symbol of every person can do their part in some way to make our world better. Uh, I know some people don't believe in the mask thing and I'm not going to comment on that right now, but as a, as a concept, it's, you know, everyone, someone I, I listened to some time ago talked about moving a piano and they couldn't quite figure it out. And then someone just said, lift where you stand. So if we just mm-hmm. lift where we stand, you in Denver, me in Vegas, whoever, and you know, your son in Seattle and so on, on and on throughout this beautiful world we live in, let's, let's keep it beautiful and focus and frame things correctly. Uh, Mark, I can't go ahead. Any final thoughts as we, uh, as we wrap up any final, uh, you know, touch on anything else in the book as we uh, come to a close here. Cause again, I don't want too big of a bill. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. So I, I'm, I've, I've had a couple of clients, former clients call and ask a question and they, they chuckle and, and about the bill. And I, I laugh and I tell them that I'm unbelievably inexpensive right now because <laughs> I, I don't send invoices anymore. <laughs> so, so not, not, not to worry about the bill. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think I would just end um, if you don't mind with the book and, and, and just say to, to your sure. audience that if, if you enjoyed any part of this discussion, you'll enjoy the book and, um, and you'd make an author. They're uh, very happy if you got on Amazon and searched for Anne just like that, Mark Shaken, and uh, and get, gave it a try. I think you'll like it, and um, uh, this author would be grateful. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's a lot of work that goes into writing a book. Um, and so, and just like that, essays on a life before, during, and after the law. Uh, Mark Shaken, when you're looking that up, S-H-A-I-K-E-N, uh, over on Amazon, and uh, various other resources. You've got a website as well. Is it Mark Shaken? Let's see, MarkShakenAuthor.com, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So various ways we can find you. Uh, appreciate your insights. Really fascinating top to me, and I hope other people find it fascinating and and kind of liken it to your own life uh, as well. You may or may not be a lawyer, but uh, most of us understand what lawyers do, and uh, and we all understand the pursuit of happiness, and that's largely what our nation, at least in America, was founded on. I think as that's in our nature as human beings regardless. Um, and that's, you're certainly a shining example of that Mark. So go pick up that book. And uh, for our audience, as usual, we're grateful, flattered you spend time with us. We're going to bill you also. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> until next time, my friends, uh, go out there, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.